Welcome, morticians, to the Murmurs from the Morgue podcast. We've got lists, deep dives, theories, and queries, and we're here each month to share them with you. I'm Kelly. And I'm Bree. And this episode, we're leaving on a midnight train to Busan. With the new announcement of the upcoming American remake, to be discussed, be sure, we thought we'd look back at Sang Ho Yoon's 2016 phenomenon, Train to Busan, exploring its cultural context and why it's such a damn fine piece of cinema. Hell yeah, we are. What a great <laughs> zombie movie. When we discussed this discussion, I was so hyped. I've been like so jazzed to talk about this ever since we landed on this topic because I just freaking love this movie so much and it's such an important piece of cinema I think because it's so fucking good and it's such an amazing piece of zombie cinema and there are few and far between of those. And I know me and you have always been like super big fans of South Korean horror films. They just do them so darn well. Oh they just they hit those emotional points and they just make you just devastated emotionally and it's so freaking good. I love it. I love it. We will give a list at the end of this episode of other movies we would recommend if you are interested in South Korean cinema, which we, again, highly recommend that you should be because it's fan-freaking-tastic. Yeah, get on the South Korean train. Train to <laughs> Busan, <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> Before we do that, we have a little segment that we've got to get to first called The Questioning. The time when we do questions. <laughs> <laughs> you like scary movies? Okay, first question. Mm-hmm. Kelly. Mm-hmm. what's your favorite mode of transportation this is a very transportation heavy movie we got the trains you know it's like a whole shtick so you like <laughs> transportation what's what's your favorite yeah I really like driving I am I'm, I'm a fan of like doing long road trips and stuff like that just because I like listening to music and just kind of hanging out and driving but I really enjoy riding on airplanes as well just because I'm a short person so the whole lack of space doesn't really bother me planes are super duper fun but if I have the option to like go on a road trip I would absolutely do that what about you? That's fair. That's fair. Honestly, like I'm a big fan of trains, maybe because I just haven't been on many, but like I like the idea of not having to go through a whole ordeal like you would if you were on an airplane, not having to control the thing like if you were in a car. Right. And then being able to look out the window and see things, you know? That's a very good point. Train culture is awesome. And like more people should be using trains, I feel. You know, it's a great way to get from point A to point B in a fast, effective, and eco-friendly question mark way. I mean, it's more eco-friendly <laughs> than cars yeah. probably. And also like there's nothing worse than being stuck in rush hour traffic. I will say oh that. Oh my God, right. I would much rather like drive back country roads and avoid and just see like scenery and, and trees and shit than have to deal with like bumper to bumper rush hour driving to a big city type of nonsense so I will say that for sure and I do feel that in our western viewpoint you from (laughs) Canada me from America I feel like we don't invest as much in like public transportation like trains and so it's a lot harder even if you do like those things whereas in Asia specifically that it's a lot more common and like comfortable yes trains (laughs) trains speaking of trains have you ever been on a train and if you could travel via train where would you want to go oh yes I have been on a few trains if it's like a magical train that can take me anywhere like if it was a train (laughs) that like somehow went across the entire globe like Snowpiercer or whatever Mm. well I guess like even that would be cool like a train that just went across the entire world like in a circle and it never stopped (laughs) but then of course you would have class warfare going on like different sections all the rich people in the front all the poor people in the back so the whole issue of like being able to eat and like that gets to be a whole thing bugs 
<laughs> How about you, Kelly? <laughs> I've been on a train to Montreal. I went to visit a friend in Montreal while well, it was a couple of years back now, actually. But that was really cool because again, it's that idea of like not having to worry about driving because it's normally from where I am, like an eight or a nine hour drive. So yep. the idea of just like hopping on a train, sitting back, relaxing, be able to read a book, listen to music, and like not have to pay attention to where I'm going, but be comfortable and have a little bit more of a spacious area and not have to worry about all the hullabaloo of going through an airport is is quite nice. If I could travel via train, I would really love to go out west to go to BC, go out to Vancouver or something like that, just because I think that would be a gorgeous train ride going like through the west coast of Canada and through the mountains. <laughs> and also, I just really like BC and I want to go there again. What is BC? British Columbia. Sorry, Canadian. Going out to British Columbia, which is on the west coast of Canada. Okay, okay. <laughs> Miss Canadian over there. Maybe we'll get a train together one day if we ever meet. That would be lovely. I would love to get a We'll train. go on that Canadian train ride. <laughs> yes. And then we'll drink a bunch on the Canadian train ride. <laughs> oh my God, if we were to do a podcast episode on this train while drinking, wouldn't that be amazing? That would be the best episode we could possibly ever do, I think. But what other train <laughs> horror movies are there? It would definitely have to be trainy, you know? <laughs> there was, oh my gosh, what is that train? one? It's like Raccoons 2 or something like that. Raccoons 2? What? <laughs> okay, so there's this movie that it's called Killer Raccoons! Exclamation point, 2! Exclamation point, Dark Christmas in the Dark! Exclamation point. <laughs> That is from 2020 and it is about killer raccoons on a train. So I'm just putting that out there. I absolutely must watch that movie. Yeah, I, I'm not. It we exists. must talk about it. We must talk about it. Maybe that'll be our Christmas episode because it is a Christmas movie as well. I'm not oh going to lie. Oh my God. You. Yeah. So that's a thing. Everyone who's out there. That's crazy. <laughs> killer raccoons. Two. Dark Christmas in the dark. That's the thing. There you go. <laughs> Thank you for this. You're welcome. Next question. Hmm. What is your favorite unique location horror movie? Because I feel like a big thing with Train to Busan is, ooh, it's a horror movie, but it's on a train. Like, it's unique, you know? Well, thinking specifically transportation, I think Triangle is a really freaking cool movie. Yes. Yeah, so that's <laughs> one that I, I would highly recommend. I think Triangle is very cool. If we're not talking horror movies, that I would say, like, Mad Max Fury Road, because that is yes. very transportation heavy. And, like, Snakes on a Plane, I guess. But, like, like to a, a larger extent, it would be triangle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Triangle is a good one. I love that one. Yeah, yeah. And time travel, you know, you can, well, you can go wrong, but in this case, you cannot. <laughs> exactly. What about you? I think that I would go with the movie Frozen, not the Disney one. Adam Green. Yes, Adam yeah, Green. Yeah. Yes, my favorite Adam Green movie. And I feel like so underrated. It's basically taking place on a ski lift that is broken down over the weekend and three people are still stuck on it so mm. it's kind of transportation like you're being transported to the mountain um, so yeah, you're being transported from one part of the ski slope to the other so i'm gonna count yeah. that okay <laughs> cool, that cool. <laughs> love frozen not the disney one and then also snowpiercer of course is another oh yes yes one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> let's talk about train to be sun
have you got a, a rundown of the plot for us for those that might not have seen the movie? This will contain spoilers because we're fully analyzing this movie. If you have not had the great pleasure of seeing Train to Busan, it is about an emotionally absent businessman has to take his daughter to Busan to be with her mother after giving her a thoughtless birthday gift. He gave her like three wees, three years in a row. She gets a wee. She's upset, so she wants to go see her mother in Busan. Unfortunately for them, they happen to go on the day that a mysterious illness is taking hold of South Korea, a viral infection turning everyone into zombies that we later find out is caused by a biology company in South Korea. The father and daughter must survive with an assortment of other characters on the train as it heads towards Busan and quickly fills with members of the undead. A little bit of context on the movie. It is the first South Korean zombie film, the first zombie film that South Korea did, which is crazy concept, Mm. but like, I guess it makes sense. But like for them to just hit it out of the park like this, like, damn, good for them. It was like number one at the box office or something like that, or? It was the highest grossing film of 2016 in South Korea. And I think it's the ninth most popular film in South Korea overall. Good job training beside again like for like a very violent zombie film like that's really impressive i love this movie so much it just makes me scream into the void emotionally just like the real life version of the wailing emoji you know the one that's just like ah! yeah like that's just me like <laughs> i just sit there watching just like ah! like, yeah with it. it's so good it's so stressful i don't think i saw it in theaters but i'm pretty sure i saw it the year it came out and by that point in 2016 i was honestly like i've always been a fan of zombie movies and I love so many of them but I was pretty done with the zombie genre like it had been a while since I had seen anything that was worth my time and Mm -hmm. I was kind of just like there's nothing new that you can really do with zombies it's gonna be a bad movie it's not gonna be good but like Train to Busan truly just blew me away like in all kinds of ways you know it's not just a zombie movie it's like an emotional roller coaster and has all these great and thoughtful themes wrapped up in its plot Mm -hmm. and all in like this great location of being on a train which I mentioned I love location based movies like that so yeah (laughs) it's probably like the best modern zombie film since like 28 days later I think was like the the last really great zombie film before this one at least mainstream wise absolutely and 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 I know that this movie is it's set for an American remake which there's a lot of people that have a lot of thoughts on that it's called La- in theory that the the rumor is that it's going to be called last train to new york it'll be directed by timo shijanto who i love and co-produced by gary doberman and james wan so i have a lot of feelings about this because i feel like this is going to be like my new i saw the devil remake in that yeah. i don't support the project because i feel like it's largely unnecessary and will kind of exploit the cultural context but i also really do support the creative team behind it because i like them all so i i want to support it because i want want to support them and I love Timo Shijanto but at the same time I'm like please don't do this yeah <laughs> please don't do this. <laughs> it's hard because like you want to give them the chance but like there's just been so much failure <laughs> even yeah. the the Snowpiercer remake which Snowpiercer was an American movie but it was directed by Bong Joon-ho the acclaimed director of Parasite the host and more and more <laughs> and you know that like I heard sucked but I do have to say that like nothing I think can really be as bad as the Asian horror remakes that happened in America in the early 2000s like The Grudge The Ring well The Ring was 
was actually pretty good. Everything else, The Grudge, Pulse, The Eye, those were terrible. Literally like the worst movies I've ever seen. So like the old boy remake, which was again, largely unnecessary and loses a lot of the cultural context. Directed by Spike Lee. Yeah. Spike Lee. How could he do this? How could he do this? I've I've talked ad nauseum about how I feel about American remakes of foreign horror films because I feel like they lose a lot of the cultural context. And like, I think people just just shut up and just learn how to read and just read subtitles and deal with it. It's fine. If you really want, you can find it dubbed. Just give it a chance just because it's different doesn't mean it's not going to be good. And and I think that I have a, a, a really hard time with American remakes unless they're doing something completely different, in which case just make a different movie, I guess. But to put Train to Busan in some cultural context, so let's talk about that a little bit. You may. Thank you. Thank you. So to start, I'm, I'm going to give a little viewer or listeners warning that we are probably going to butcher some of these names and we do apologize in advance just because we are not from South Korea and nor do we claim to be experts in South Korean history or, or culture or, or yes. anything like that. We are just nerds. <laughs> Busan is the second largest city in Korea. It's a center of finance, of business and technology conferences. It's also the sixth largest port in the world. It's a hub for film festivals, including the Busan International Film Festival, which is the largest film festival in Asia. And it's also hosting the One Asia Festival, which is the largest K-pop festival in Korea, which more or less makes it the center of K-pop culture, which is kind of a big... Oh my God. Yeah. It's the summer capital of Korea because it has like six beaches that tourists just flock to. There's luxury hotels, a carnival boardwalk. It is an awesome city that people really appreciate it. I mean, historically, the role of Busan is very symbolic as a safe haven in this movie because during the Korean War, Busan was one of only two cities in South Korea that was not captured by the North Korean army within the first three months of the war, the other being Daegu, which was within the Busan perimeter and therefore protected. As a result, Busan and Daegu became refugee campsites for Koreans during the war and somewhere around like 500,000 refugees were located in the Busan in early 1951. For a side point, Seoul was captured four times. So because Busan was one of the few areas in Korea that remained under the control of South Korea throughout the Korean War, it served as a temporary capital of the Republic of Korea. So that's kind of a huge deal when you put it in the context of Train to Busan that they're trying to get to the safe haven of Busan. It makes it that much more relevant. And it kind of, again, with the themes of the film, elevates it higher than just like, train zombies! Like, there's more to it than that. The historical context of Busan aside, Train to Busan is also also about class conflict. It's about selfishness and self-preservation, the work-life balance, and its stress on family. South Korea has been a society that could not guarantee work-life balance historically and legally. There's a concept of, I think it's warabal, I don't know how to pronounce that, but it's a work-life balance. It's a newly coined Korean term that has emerged as the tendency to value quality of life rather than annual salary increases. So How dare they? How dare they? How dare they want to give people a good life? So, well, you can get a fulfilling home life. You generally have to give up much of your personal needs, such as salary and promotion at work. But in an ideal world where Warabal can be realized, both welfare and basic income and the basic condition of human life have to be resolved. You have to be able to balance both. You have to be able to have sufficient work-life balance in that you're able to support yourself. You're able to have a satisfying career, but also be able to have a really satisfying home life. Because of this new idea of Warabal, it's actually like, hey, we should give people a good life and good rights. 
Many companies in Korea are concerned about the shorter working hours, fearing labor shortages, rising labor costs, and worsening profitability and decreasing competitiveness. So recently, South Korea has been trying to raise awareness of Warabal. In 2018, there were some mobile apps that have become popular in South Korea, and classes to develop hobbies and talents after work are becoming more popular. So this whole idea in Train to Busan of this work-life balance of having this father character that is so devoted and so focused to his work that he completely does not have a connection with his daughter at all to the point that you can visibly see how distraught she is by the lack of this relationship with her father. It's really interesting that they pull that into this movie. Yeah, and that is also something that has been pretty popular in South Korean cinema recently and brought it into the global cinematic universe Mm. (laughs) Uh, specifically with the movie parasite which came out 2019 it won so many awards i'm sure many of you have heard of it it was a huge deal directed by bong joon ho as we stated before snowpiercer guy not only did it really resonate to a lot of americans with its socioeconomic themes come about in both countries america and south korea and i don't know maybe canada too i'm just kind of saying this from an american viewpoint but i probably more mean Western in general. Also, even more recently and perhaps even more popularly, Squid Games, the Mm. TV show on Netflix, also has like very similar themes, which you probably have watched, but it's kind of like a game where people are sacrificing themselves potentially to win this money. So it's definitely something that has weighed heavily in South Korea and bled heavily into its movies recently. Mm -hmm. As a bit of history on that as well, again, like with Squid Game, Snowpiercer, and Parasite, social and economic hardships in South Korea are a real cause for concern. There's actually a scene in Squid Game that was based on real life events. In 2009, a Korean car maker, Sang Yong, fired more than 2,600 of its workers. Many of the laid off employees occupied the factory for 77 days until the police crushed their protest. They poured liquid tear gas from helicopters. They shot tasers at striking workers. It was one of the biggest crackdowns on labor activists in South Korean history. And it was authorized by the country's then president. I think like 30 workers and family members had committed suicide or died since the layoffs. It became a huge social issue. Uh, 96 people were imprisoned and over 240 were fined or summoned by prosecutors. So during the economic crisis of the late 1990s, the middle class in South Korea collapsed. And after more than three decades of rapid economic growth, the financial crisis in 1997-2008 sent unemployment and bankruptcies and household debt in South Korea just absolutely soaring. So the economic pressures of this have left many young Koreans feeling trapped and without any kind of hope of advancement. And like suicide has been the leading cause of death among young people in South Korea for years, just because they feel trapped under this boot heel of economic repression and and, and crushing, crushing debt that is inescapable. And I know that's something that is echoed in in certainly North American culture as well as I I know that student loans are not something that we can escape easily, for example. Yes, been there, done that. Yeah. That's really interesting because I I feel like the strike weighs heavily on this movie. The idea that like there's these themes of misdirection in the media where there's a scene on the train where they're watching and, and reading the news and there are lines saying like, please refrain from reacting to baseless rumors and we must stay calm and trust our government while they're watching these violent videos of people getting attacked and mauled and killed by these zombies. It's pretty haunting, especially in consideration of the decades of state control of the media and strict censorship in, in Korea. But I mean, these ideas of, of like misdirection of the media and social economic repression and, and, and cultural collapse and, and all this, like these are themes that are 
easily understood outside of the Korean context as well. They're not unique to, to Korea, but there's something about repurposing, again, going back to the idea of making an American remake, there's something about repurposing those themes for an American audience that feels kind of like, I don't know, hollow, maybe, yeah. or lazy. Like, I just find a new way to explore these themes is what I'm saying, I guess. Going back to what you were saying about that strike that happened, the labor strike that happened, that reminded me a lot of, which I did not know about before you said it, and so now I'm kind of like piecing this together, but there's a scene in Train to Busan where I think it's right as the zombie outbreak is happening and people are watching it on TV and they say, oh, look at all these protests that are happening in Busan. And they're comparing them to protesters. And I thought that was really interesting, especially like seeing it on TV and whatnot. And like in America, there's a lot of protests that have been going on as well. And it kind of like has that similar feeling. So I thought that was like interesting. And so I think that from the beginning, these zombies are kind of being compared to the working class and workers in South Korea. Absolutely. And I think that there's sort of a triangle of masculinity with the characters in this movie as well. And they all kind of have a reflection on the working class in some way or another. There's the character of the father, Suk Woo, the husband, Sang Hwa, and the businessman, Yeon Suk, that they all kind of have a play into like a different level. There's obviously the businessman Yon Suk is portrayed as like the higher class of the three. He's a very elite businessman. He's very selfish. He's very like self-interested. He just wants to save himself. He doesn't care about yeah. anybody else. He will literally throw anyone else under the train to save himself. As he does multiple times. As he does multiple times. There's the husband Sang Hua who's sort of torn between the two. There's the husband Sang Hua who is on the more personable side. He's sort of the angel on the shoulder of Suk Woo, the, the father. And then, of course, there's the father, Sekou, who's kind of torn between this devil and angel of, of the working class and this businessman that is the working class is trying to help everybody. Sang Hua is, he will literally try and, and save anyone that he possibly can, even Sekou, after he is terrible to him. So yeah. let's back up for a second as well to just put into context who these characters are. So the father, Sekou, <laughs> is the main character of this film. He's played by Gong Yu. Which, by the way, as a father, mm-hmm. he is like one of the most attractive fathers I've ever seen. Like, I just wanted to mention that. Like, he has big DILF energy, you know? He does. You really... Like, he has no right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, you know what? I, I support literally everything you're going to do, man, because you... I just want you to survive and, and win and, and continue to be attractive. Or then we've got Sue Ann, his daughter. And then there's Sang Hua, who's played by Don Lee, who's also known as Ma Dong Suk. He's like, actually, by the way, one of the most well-known action stars in Korea. He was made an honorary police officer in 2017 in Korea. And he used to be the personal trainer of Gong Yu, who plays the father of the movie. So that's kind of cool as well. So this husband character, uh, Sang Hua, who is the real MVP of the movie. Like, he's the real hero he's an unproblematic character in every way shape and form he just comes in there and just like does what needs to be done he protects his wife and his unborn child he protects the father and his daughter even after the father tries to like block him out and like not let him into the train car and like almost kills him he still tries to save him later he's just Mm -hmm. an unproblematic fave like he's so great yes great character i love him so much there's a ceo character young suck who is just a bastard to put it bluntly no yeah he sucks he does the zombies are not the real villains, nor is the train. Nor is the, <laughs> the train is not the villain. The train is like New York of sex in the city. <laughs> That's such a good metaphor. <laughs> so 
I feel like with those three characters, the dude who's the husband with the pregnant wife and then the Mm -hmm. main character guy and then the CEO character, Mm -hmm. the main character I feel is really split between them in the way that he is trying to be the CEO character. Like he aspires to be that version of masculinity, whereas Mm -hmm. he really should be embracing this other version of masculinity, which is shown by Sanghua's character. Yeah, absolutely. Like Sanghua is like, he's the perfect hero and he's designed to be that way. So he's just too good. He's again, the two characters, Sanghua and, and uh, Yan Suk really are the devil and the angel on Sukwu's <laughs> shoulder, on the, on the father's shoulder. Yeah. He, he's kind of torn between the two. He knows that he really should aim to be more like this husband character, but he's going towards the direction of the CEO, the businessman character. And he starts to sort of realize that path that he's going on. And there is a whole conversation with Sanghua that kind of shows us the power of empathy. He talks to him about fatherhood and how it's all about sacrifice. It's all about giving yourself up for your child. And I feel like that's a conversation that really impacts itself to Suk Wu. He, he sees both paths of his future in these two characters. And he's really kind of trying to figure out which one he wants to be. Fatherhood, as we kind of learn through Sanghua, has a bit of a civilizing effect. There's a dichotomy cliche of like the stereotypical bachelor who's generally seen as like self-consumed and very like in his own interests versus a father who's generally stereotypically seen as like very strong and capable and powerful and, and loving and, and sort of the, the the leader of the household. And it's interesting how there's that dichotomy between these two types of people that really only comes down to, have you had a kid or not? Mm-hmm. And there's a parallel of a struggle between the duality of Sukwu that's represented by this doorway in the train. So when Sukwu father character is when the outbreak initially happens and they're all trying to get away from the zombies, he closes the door on Sanghua at the last minute, sort of like not letting mm-hmm. him come in. A glass door. A glass door. And of course, Sanghua eventually gets through and, and is able to be safe. But later on, when Sukwu is trying to get through the doorway, the businessman is blocking him out and he's unable to break through. And Sanghua is holding off the doorway. The, 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 the husband is, is holding off the doorway to keep the zombies at bay. So there's these two doorways that are sort of showing this parallel. There's the one that's being held closed by the, the mm-hmm. husband and the one that's being held closed by the businessman. And Sukwu is the father is really stuck in the middle trying to figure yeah. out like who does he want to try and help. Let's talk about that scene a little bit more actually because that's a scene that had some like narrative richness in it so Mm -hmm. because the main character he to me is kind of seen as like a manager type Mm -hmm. he's middle level like management he's not like a worker and he's not really like the boss so in this scene at first he is helping Sanghua's character he's trying to help him like hold the door closed and this is the moment when Sanghua's character gets bit by a zombie so he's gonna die unfortunately Mm -hmm. and they're trying to help each other but eventually like Sanghua decides to give his body over to the zombies and let the main character go to the CEO so it's kind of like him as a manager type was trying to be there for the worker try to help the worker but realizing mm-hmm. that he couldn't really help him as much as he thought he could so taking it to the boss yeah. and from that point on you know he's like very angry that the CEO character let him that guy die basically exactly. so you know he takes it out on him from there on in the plot the CEO character accuses him of being a zombie 
and lies about him. So there's a few ways you could analyze that. Like that's kind of like him outing him as a bad employee or an employee that's trying to start trouble like strike wise and kind of ousting him from the work environment. Again, throwing him under the non-proverbial train, as it were. <laughs> it's this thing where, and again, it, it's, it's, it's sort of torn between this idea of what is more important, being a father and being a businessman. And in the end, he goes towards the side of the businessman, but he does it to be a good father. He does it to try and save his kid. So he's taking the side of the husband and the father. He's taking the side of, of being a good parent and being a good caring person by walking away from that, I think, and, and trying to push through that other doorway to break his way through that other doorway is what he does. And yeah. It's not just an issue of just like a walk through that doorway. It's he's breaking down that doorway in a furious rage mm-hmm. to try and save the people that he cares about. And then following that is this really heartbreaking scene where the pregnant wife like watches her husband who was just bitten by the zombie basically like give himself over to the zombies. And I hate to bring like Marxism into this, but basic <laughs> Marxism is that the working class basically like gives their bodies up for their jobs. And that's like a form of exploitation. You're getting paid for to abuse your body. So I feel like the metaphor of the zombie bite is really good for that. Like he is physically giving up his life for this job of trying to get people over to safety while his like wife and children, all they can do is watch him like die slowly. So kind of like if he was in the workplace, like the children watching him die slowly because, you know, a lot of people have serious problems because of labor, like giving their bodies over to labor. And I think one of the things that makes trying to be on such an important and powerful and wonderful movie is that all the deaths have meaning. Yes. For a zombie movie, mm-hmm. it's not, there's no canon fodder deaths. All the deaths are emotional. I mean, like, of course there are like characters that are kind of nothing characters because it's a zombie movie and you need people to die. But every single time there's a character, like a main character that dies, it is for a purpose. It has an emotional resonance. It has a meaning to the plot. There is the the characters of the two sisters, the, the senior uh, yes. sisters that are just wonderful and like absolutely heartbreaking. And also kind of, I love that it includes a couple of scenes of the younger generation doing what they can to help these sisters because of course it's a a very big thing in Korean culture South Korean culture to like respect your elders and have respect for your elders so there's a couple times where like one of them will fall down and a couple people will go over grab her and try and take her to safety but it's that moment when one of the sisters kind of sacrifices herself to save everyone else the other sister realizes how terrible this is and she essentially turns on the people that are are there and, and, and opens the door to have all the zombies come through and attack them because she doesn't agree with what they've done of blocking Mm. these people out and then pushing them off to the other side saying Mm. like well you're not good and this is a continuation of the scene that we were just talking about with Mm -hmm. the three male characters being stuck in this doorway the main character trying to break his way into the cart that the ceo is in because he's with a bunch of other people the ceo tells everyone that he must be a zombie so they all basically mob mentality together and force those characters out into the next cart over so separating them and then while that's all happening this elder character opens the door blocking the zombies and lets all the zombies into the room where 
the CEO character had just kicked the people out of. And maybe that's a whole thing of just, again, she's wiser and recognizes the error of his ways in a way that the businessman cannot because he's so self-consumed and so worried about self-preservation that he's not realizing how it's impacting and affecting everyone around him, including not just the younger generation, but the older generation as well. Yes. And that is a theme that I heavily want to talk about. So a big theme that I saw in this film is kind of this idea of specifically these businessmen having no regard for any people creating these problems that they will never see the consequences of and just completely disregarding people's lives. And you can see this almost from the very beginning. So in the beginning, the main character is kind of revealed to be this hedge fund kind of guy. He's doing stock things and whatnot. He's doing business. He's doing business things, sitting at his desk, doing the typey typey thing. And (laughs) he has an assistant. And one of the first things he says is he tells the assistant to sell all of their stocks in this one thing. And the assistant is like, oh, we really shouldn't do that because if we do that, it's going to like really mess up a lot of people's finances and it's going to cause like a huge collapse of the stock. So we shouldn't do that. And the dude is like, um, I'm your boss, so do what I say. But I think that that really comes back throughout the film. Later on, a big reveal of the film is that this isn't just some random zombie outbreak. It's somehow related to a biological lab in South Korea. And the assistant calls the main character two thirds through the film and is like, this is the company that we work for. Like, this is something that we directly had a hand in. How can we live with ourselves knowing that we let this happen? And so it's kind of continuing this theme of these people making decisions that are ruining people's lives like killing people and never really seeing that happening so they don't care like it's above them almost yeah absolutely it's that out of sight out of mind mentality yeah I feel like a lot of the CEO's decisions are based on that too him like just saying like oh yeah kill those people or it doesn't really matter as long as I survive and then at the end the very last scene we have the little daughter character Sue Ann played by Kim Sue Ann same name. And then the pregnant woman, Sung Jiang, played by Jung Yumi. Those are the two surviving members. They arrive in Busan and there are these military characters that are considering killing them because they are not sure if they're zombies or not and they're looking at them through binoculars from far away and they ask their higher up over the radio what they should do and the higher up not there not at the area at all can't see any of the people he just tells them to kill them not knowing whether or not they're actually zombies or if they're people and of course they are and so it's okay but you know it's just kind of that idea of like this dude doesn't know what's happening he'd rather just make it simple on himself and kill them even though they were not zombies Mm -hmm. absolutely again it's that idea that like if it doesn't impact you it doesn't matter and that idea is sort of seen throughout the film through the businessman that he as we've said before, will literally throw anyone under the bus to try and save himself and to try and do what's best for him and, and doesn't care about anyone else. And he does this time and time again. And and in the beginning of the film, the 
the father, Suk Wu, is sort of also in that mindset. Again, he closes the door on Sang Hua and his wife. He even says to his daughter, yeah. Sue Ann, like, only care about yourself, look out for yourself, don't care about anybody else. And it's throughout the film that he sort of learns that that's not the way to think. And, and his daughter, the younger generation, of course, wants to go back and help everyone. So it's kind of an interesting thing, too, between like the generational gap as well as the wage gap and as well as the social gap and the cultural gap in relevance to how they approach others and how they care about others or, or their lack of care for others. I think that another big thing of this as well is I see like a lot of technology in this film. So mm-hmm. I think it's also kind of positing that technology is like a another way to kind of distract you from the real issues going on and Mm -hmm. kind of like make it easier for you to not care about them. Like on the TV that they're watching, they're like, oh, these are riots. So, Mm -hmm. you know, don't worry about anything, basically. So it's like a lot easier to not care about them because they're being seen through this lens of technology. And the first scene is like this dude is on a road. He's driving through the area where this plant is, the biological plant. And his phone is ringing. And so he's like messing around with his phone while he's driving. He runs over a deer and kills the deer. Then the deer turns into a zombie deer. But it's kind of like he was distracted from this technology. And because of that, like nature suffered, basically, like he caused suffering. Yeah, it's also interesting how it does touch on, again, the uh, idea of the misinformation through technology as well with how we're seeing very clearly these videos of what's happening throughout South Korea and yeah. all these people getting killed and slaughtered and, and, and attacked by zombies and, and how it's, again, that dialogue of um, of we must stay calm, please refrain from reacting to baseless rumors and things like that, which, yeah. I mean, I feel like over the past couple of years in America, you've seen a lot of that as well. Oh my God, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so it's interesting as well that this sort of came out right in 2016, but because it's something that has become a bigger theme over time of this idea yeah. of like misdirection, especially now with like, we're not going to talk about COVID because that's a whole loaded topic. But I was just going to say the movie is <laughs> almost more relevant in 2021 yes. than it was in 2016. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which is another interesting way of why doing a, an American remake as well is like, I'm, I'm wondering if they're going to touch on that sort of topic as well. I, I, I imagine they must because that is such a huge kind of component of this film as well is, is that idea of that misdirection and that idea of again the focus on technology and the focus on yourself and, and not caring about others and not caring about what helps the greater good or anything like that it's just no just care about yourself how are you going to say what's important to you is the thing I really love that scene too that you brought up where while they're watching videos on their phone that people have actually posted showing the truth of what's going on with the zombies you have the news media of South Korea over it saying nothing's happening like we're all good There's many themes also of media manipulation and kind of like the media hiding these truths and these actual atrocities happening around you. They even say the line like, we must stay calm and trust our government, which is like, Mm. that's a loaded line if I've ever heard one. I do want to talk about this film like as a zombie movie as well. Yes, the zombies. Just because, you know, we are we are a horror podcast. We're not a cultural history with Kelly (laughs) and (laughs) Brie. 
But I think as well, you know, it's such a good movie, but it's also such a powerful zombie movie because when it comes down to it, zombies aren't about the shambling undead, biting people and turning people. Zombies are about our society, about our culture, about the ways that we relate to one another. That's been a huge theme going back to like the early days of zombie movies, back to Night of the Living Dead and etc. Note, George Romero's zombie movies are incredibly political. Absolutely. And so zombie movies almost always are incredibly political. Yeah. That's just something that you should become used to knowing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's something that shouldn't be shocking or shouldn't be difficult to, to grapple with is this idea that like zombie movies as a whole have been generally political in a way. I don't remember which way it is, but there's something that sort of says like in a time where there's Republican governments that zombie movies are more yeah. popular and Democratic governments that vampire movies are more popular. I've heard that. Yeah, which is interesting because we did see a lot of zombie movies. And I feel like the thing with zombie movies too is I think a lot of people make them because they can be cheap and easy and they can be kind of lazy, which is why we see a large, large amount of zombie movies, which is I think why a lot of people become very tired of them. Because we see a huge amount of them because they're just easy movies to make in theory. That's not the case. If you want to do it well, it's very complicated and you have to do a lot of work and put a lot into it to actually make something that is worthwhile watching. But these zombies, I feel, are real high quality zombies. Definitely top tier zombies, I would say. Top tier zombies. Well, the film team tried to reference the movement of the zombies from the game Seven Days to Die and the movement of the dolls in Ghost in the Shell and also from the nurses in Silent Hill. Totally get that. Which is kind of cool because they turn so suddenly and so violently and their movements are so jerky and unnatural that it really kind of amps up the tension and amps up the discomfort because you're watching, especially the scene in the the first train stop that they get to where they think they're going to be able to be safe and they get off and they're sort of walking through and then they start going down the escalator and there's that just wave of zombies that come running up at them and everyone gets attacked and it's really intense and it's an amazing scene by the way but that scene in particular like shows the first bit of like people really getting turned quickly and how that kind of goes on and there's a scene with a bunch of the the baseball kids turning and I I just remember them like jerking around and their limbs are like their arms are like behind them and it looks so terrifying and so violent that like it's really impactful more so than just like someone just sort of lying there and then getting back up again you know what I mean oh yeah I love the zombie acting in this I feel like it also has a little bit of evil dead in it too like the zombies and the evil dead they seem a little like that but yeah I think that I I really like the twitchy zombie thing going on and like that they are fast too and not only that but I really like the zombie dynamics in this I don't know how to explain it but it's kind of like world war z ish where they sometimes kind of like get together and become like a wave a wave yeah you also see this in the sequel to train to busan peninsula it's not as good of a movie i do like it though and one thing that i really like in it if you've seen it dear listener and kelly is there's this one zombie pile And it's kind of like a rat king, but instead of rats, it's like these zombies that kind of just got like congealed and stuck together. And I freaking love that. (laughs) And then in Train to Busan near the end, like all the zombies kind of start piling on to the end of the train, Mm -hmm. like holding onto it. And they slow down the train because they're all kind of like congealed together and 
like pulling it and like that's just so weird and fun you know yeah yeah it's it's a really kind of great way to show that like strength in numbers in a way I guess you know yeah it's that idea that like one zombie is terrifying but a horde of zombies is the worst possible thing and like incredibly difficult to escape and and that's the whole idea of this movie is that like it's not just one zombie on a train it starts with one zombie on a train but like holy hell does it go downhill from there also I feel like dear listener just don't even try and like do a drinking game with us by taking a shot every time we say the word zombie because it will be a very bad scene for you (laughs) because we've said it like 28 times in the past two minutes I'm sure zombie although they only say it once in the movie and they don't even say it yeah yeah it's written (laughs) (laughs) which I love when they do that I love when zombie movies are like we're not going to use that word it's like it's because it's it's such a movie word anytime you hear I forget what it is there's some zombie movie where they say like the word zombies are like don't say that like I can't remember which movie it is it escapes me right now so an interesting thing about like the zombie dynamic the director of this movie actually has a background in animation this was his first live action movie so before that he only made animated movies and I think that kind of adds a little bit of context for Train to Busan because some of the action in it does seem like almost cartoonish in a way but always like still scary and fun like it's a serious movie (laughs) I know that there was an animated prequel question mark yeah soul station Station, yeah Yeah, I I haven't seen the prequel, but I have seen Peninsula, which I thought was interesting that like, I guess the director had gone on record saying like, I'm not making a sequel to this. And then I guess he came up later and he's like, fine. And then did Fast and the Furious, Peninsula Drift. Yeah. Man, there's that one scene in Peninsula that where we're first introduced to the daughter characters and they're just, again, Fast and the Furious Peninsula drifting their way through all this horde of zombies. And I was like, okay, this has won me over just with this one scene. Yes, that's exactly how I feel about that movie. It's also kind of cool that the same director went on to do the sequel. It's not like it's some other director who took over the franchise. Like, this is his vision, ultimately. Like, these two movies, like, as far apart as they are. And he also did the animated prequel Soul State too. Yeah, which I find it interesting that it's him come back to do Peninsula because totally these movies are night and day. Like literally so as different. well, like literally night and day. Like they want the train to be on is all daylight and Peninsula is all basically all at night. But because it, it seems it's so tonally different. It's thematically different. It's yeah. ultimately it's just like zombies. Like that's it, the first movie is like very thematically rich and very poignant and very emotionally heavy. And I feel like Peninsula is just like, I don't know, zombies. And so it felt very yeah. strange to see that movie I am here to disagree with you Kelly because (laughs) I watched the movie again today yeah and I was kind of under the same impression as you I saw it in theaters when it came out (laughs) and yeah at at first I was like this movie is like so different it's not nearly as good as Train to Busan but I like it and I do agree that it definitely is not as good as Train to Busan but Train to Busan is like a almost like perfect 10 out of 10 movie. So like, of course it's not going to be as good. But watching it this second time again, I was really struck by how many similar themes it did have in terms of economic things. Mm, Because the whole plot of it is that these characters are being forced to go to, I think it is still South Korea and kind of like find this money. So they're looking for like a, a large sum of money. And they're basically like their bodies once again are being used and abused by these people People who are not going there they're like CEO boss characters who probably plan on killing them for this money when they get back they're just kind of like using their bodies once again for money 
that's a fair point another thing i love about peninsula is that they have this whole like set where they're doing like these fight scenes that have like basically the people like real people versus zombies and it's kind of like a gladiator fight yes. and the gladiator fight metaphor is very intriguing to me because i think that there's the, this idea from uh, ancient rome that came up of pan et circenses bread and circuses and it's kind of like the idea of to control the population you need food and you need entertainment and so i thought this was kind of like a good example of that them having these basically gladiator fights to entertain the population in peninsula but i saw that also in train to busan as well if we want to switch back over so in train to busan i feel like there's all these other themes of consumption and these ideas of like comfort products being used to once again like hide people from the truth there's a scene where the group is sneaking through the zombie horde after they discover they can't see in the darkness and one of the dudes steps onto a coke can and that kind of alerts the zombies to their presence so i kind of saw that as like an example of them being like screwed over by their own capitalistic consumption mindset mm. The baseball kids. I love the baseball kids. Like they add so much to the plot. But the baseball kids, at first I was like, why do they choose baseball? That's so weird. Do they even play baseball in South Korea? Maybe they do, but I don't know. But anyway, what I was thinking is that baseball is a very American sport, I feel. Like it's like, ah, America. You think apple pie and baseball. And so... I saw like the baseball kids as kind of like this, once again, another symbol of this entertainment being used to kind of distract them from real issues in the world via like almost directly the West, like the influence of the West on South Korea. Oh, like play baseball instead of uh, worrying about the strikers in the streets, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's a fair point. And I, I, I do also just briefly want to mention Sohee, who plays the character of Jin Hee, who's like the baseball girlfriend, is an ex-member of the famous K-pop group Wonder Girls, which I thought was an interesting little factoid. Yes, um, I love when that happens. Yeah. So I, I, I always think it's one of the reasons that I love watching foreign films as well as like you see these actors like Ma Dong-suk, who is now obviously as Don Lee growing very, very popular. He's in Eternals and, and a bunch of other stuff. What? Yeah. Oh, he's, in the, he's awesome. in the MCU at this point. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. He's <laughs> like a isn't big- isn't in the MCU? I know, right? us apparently get us on there no no we're good no we're good we're fine but uh that idea that they have him who's like this huge action star in in south korea and they have like this former like girl group star it's always really interesting watching foreign films because i don't have that context of those actors so you just see them as these characters and it makes it so much easier to really really connect with them and who they are it's like if i were to watch this movie with like tom cruise as the lead i would not find it nearly as impactful because yeah. it's that's just Tom Cruise running around pretending that he cares about people and like that's not quite the movie that this ends up being so that's for me like forever in defense of foreign films I, I love being able to watch something and, and be able to completely immerse yourself in the characters because you may recognize them from something else there's not the same like context of who they are as a person yeah. that you get with like American actors I think mm -hmm. although I will say that this one South Korean film Burning which mm -hmm. I highly recommend it's a fantastic film it does have like a situation where one of the characters is Steven Yun and he's like coded as this dude who went to America and 
and like kind of as this mysterious American figure. And so for that, I really enjoyed that I could get that kind of cultural context from it. The fact that like, oh, he's a Glenn from The Walking Dead, like South Korean (laughs) American superstar. Yeah, of course, it's like there are actors that like you recognize like Min Sik Choi. I obviously like recognize between Old Boy and I Saw the Devil and a bunch of other stuff that he's been in. Like I always recognize him because he's such an incredible actor. But it's kind of cool being able to like not know who these people are and just being able to like appreciate and be like, this is that character for me. Like this is who that person is. And I really love that. The second main character in this film (laughs) is is the the train. train. (laughs) And the idea of trains and transportation in Korea. So South Korea has really complex subway systems and express railways that interconnect large cities and suburbs to like villages and resorts on the outskirts of the country. You can use cash, but the transportation system is also connected electronically via like these transit cards, which is super helpful because you can use it across all these different modes of transportation. So if you're on the train, then you hop off onto a cab and then you take a bus and then you go like through a subway or whatever you can use the same card everywhere you don't have to like carry cash on you or use like these little stupid transfers that you get on buses sometimes it's easy just to swipe your card and the systems are like so well organized so it's generally very easy to commute via public transit versus driving your own car which is I also wonder if like that is a theme with like a class culture thing if like I have no idea because I'm not from Korea or South Korea and I, I don't know in terms of like the cultural context of if driving is like seen more of a class thing but because public transportation is so readily accessible and so easy to get well i mean look at parasite yeah so in parasite true, true, true. big portion of it is that the main character's father becomes the personal chauffeur for the rich right. guy so that's mm-hmm. kind of exemplifying that i feel whereas Absolutely. they always have to take the train or they walk yeah yeah or they walk so there you go <laughs> so there you go <laughs> just in general trains are a very exemplifying of just kind of like labor movements and the divide between classes because they are codified towards like the lower class and they're also more environmentally safe and they're more like community based so they're in vogue right now Mm. but yeah trains culture (laughs) so take the train unless there are zombies on it then don't take the train or do and then just deal with it One thing I wanted to bring up that I think that I actually heard discussed in another podcast, and I want to say that it was the horror vanguard going on with the rich guy, the CEO character, is that he is like so ruthless and he's so scared of him personally dying because Mm. rich people are so used to being able to just throw money at a problem until it goes away. And Mm -hmm. this is one problem that he cannot just throw money at. All he can do is literally throw people at zombies to save himself for just a few more seconds. Yeah, that's that's a good point. <laughs> that like really it comes down to like this idea of not feeling any personal responsibility or not feeling any consequences for their actions because they never find consequence because they just throw money at it until it goes away. Yeah, and that like people kind of have misconceptions about the upper class and that the money will come trickling down and that the upper mm-hmm. class cares about you and they'll take care of you when they really don't. All they care about mm-hmm. is themselves and making sure that they pre- personally survive and they're willing to throw as many other people under the bus or undercut people, underpay people to get to where they think they should be. Yeah. One of the greatest things with the consumption as wealth is the retention of wealth. And going along with that, it's they're very hesitant to share the wealth because that means that they're going to have less of it. And so again, like they'll just throw money at a problem to make it go away. But if there's someone that needs it and that would help solve their problems, they're not going to give up that money or their livelihoods because they're dicks. Yep. (laughs) 
one more thing I wanted to bring up. Mm-hmm. Gender. I think gender isn't really something that a lot of people discuss with this film, but mm-hmm. the fact that it's not discussed, I feel, makes it more worthy of discussion. <laughs> yeah. Because so throughout the film, you're kind of following these three male characters, the main character, father, the husband figure, and then the CEO figure. They all end up dying spoiler alert (laughs) and the only characters that end up surviving are a small girl and a pregnant woman and so I kind of feel that the film is insinuating that this version of toxic capitalistic masculinity that we idolize and that we strive for is not working out and it's going to be bring about the end of us and what we need to invest more in femininity and bring up women to kind of see where the future is going to be Personally, that's how I feel what this film is saying. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that again, like we've talked earlier about that whole triangle of masculinity in the film and how that is a big theme, particularly when it comes to the concept of fatherhood and the concept of being a good man. And one of the things about that is that like masculinity has to be modeled by men. And the three sort of masculine characters in this film are showing a different model of masculinity. I think obviously Sang-Hwa is the best one. He's like the (laughs) perfect person. He's the hero. He's designed to be the hero so obviously he has to die because he's just too damn good but does he have dilf energy i would say so have you seen those arms yeah. he's jacked yeah. when he like wraps the tape around i was like, gonna punches. say when he wraps the, <laughs> when he puts the tapes on his arm ugh. and just like just straight up like bare knuckle boxes those zombies into submission oh chills <laughs> But yes, so there's that. And then I think on the flip side of that, the female characters, you have the sisters, you have the baseball girlfriend, you have the daughter, you have the wife slash pregnant mother, and you even have Suk Woo's, or sorry, Sang Hwa's, nope, Suk Woo. Even have Suk Woo, the, the father's, or sorry, yes, the father. I keep getting their names mixed up now. <laughs> no, yes, no. <laughs> no. Yes, no. You even have Suk Woo, who's the, the father. His mother is a character in the film as well. Yeah. That he kind of touches base with her early on and, and, and hears horrible things happening, which is very tragic and sad. But it does really have like important conversations and important reflections on gender and the characters are sort of embodying the strong themes that you see in these concepts of gender like the female characters there's like the maternal pregnant wife who's very like she goes out of her way to protect and to save even though she's in a position where like she's in no position to help people she's very pregnant she's very like but she she goes out of her way to try and save the daughter and to try and help the daughter and and to try and do as much as she can to keep everybody safe she has that strong maternal instinct there's a daughter who again has that great respect for her elders who offers the seat to one of the sisters when she's looking to sit down because they're they're old and uncomfortable and she sort of exemplifies that idealistic youth and that next generation that fresh energy and and that trying to be helpful and 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 trying to be compassionate that i think is a very sweet thing and she sees through her father's bullshit exactly exactly and she does a very sad and mournful song at the end Oh my God, so sad. Heartbreaking. It's yeah, heartbreaking. Crying. Oh my God. And then gosh. she looks directly at the camera. <sighs> she's looking right at you. In this film, the zombie outbreak is kind of coded as being a type of environmental disaster where it seems to be that it's accidentally released from this lab, not purposefully, to my knowledge. 
at least, and that it kind of like just affects the entire environment because of that. And that's something that also like South Korea has a history of exploring, most notably to me is The Host, also Mm -hmm. directed by Bong Joon-ho. It's very similar plot where a laboratory accidentally releases this chemical into the water stream, I believe, and it like affects all the fish and causes them to turn into mutants. And they're kind of like, oops, that happened. In South Korea and also China, there has been a lot of concerns over safety of their food and also drugs. I know at least in China because I studied China a little bit. So I know it a bit more than anything that happened in South Korea. There has been like multiple situations where they've had like these products that have cut corners in the early 2000s. I think they had this huge disaster where they had like a baby formula brand that they found out had I want to say like formaldehyde or something in it and it caused like all these problems with children throughout their lives and it was just kind of through their own disregard for that situation happening just through negligence yeah yeah so I think that it's kind of interesting how that bleeds into this film too yeah and i think asian horror has like a particularly japanese horror japanese horror i think more than south korean horror but does have some elements of environmental consequences we'll say in their films but i mean when you look at like godzilla like that is obviously oh, yeah. like, huge, yeah. like yeah so and that note i think what we'll do is i think that's all we have to say about train to be for today it's a fantastic film if you haven't seen it what are you doing go watch it immediately right. it's phenomenal and if you have seen it let us recommend some more movies to you that you might yeah. enjoy also from south korea Korea because they have a very rich tapestry of filmography and they are incredible at cinema and again a very emotionally heavy film that we love and it's a darn shame that people haven't really thought about them until Parasite and Train to Busan and Squid Games because mm. they've been done making good movies yeah they've made a ton of them and let's yeah. list them so ones that I obviously if you know anything about me you know that I've freaking love I Saw the Devil. It's my favorite movie. So I highly recommend that one, of course. Along with that one, I would recommend The Chaser. Parasite is an amazing one that I believe won the best picture at the Oscars when that came out. That was, that was last year, year before. Yeah, 2019. Whenever Oscars were allowed to happen. Old Boy, Tale of Two Sisters, The Wailing, The Host, Death Bell. Thirst, The Handmaiden. The Handmaiden. Park Chan-wook, classic, gay. Mm -hmm. The Odd Family Zombie for Sale, which Kelly told me is just an amazing movie. I will link to my review of it. Oh, yes. Yes, thank you, Kelly. There we go. Burning, which I also mentioned before with the beautiful Steven Yoon, A Taxi Driver, and Save the Green Planet. And we also will be listing these in our show notes as well. So if you want to see these, you know, check check out the show notes. And that is our episode. (laughs) We could go on and on about Train to Busan, I feel, but this is enough for now. Yeah, Train to Busan is just one of those movies that like just beats you emotionally, but it also is such a good horror movie. It has genuine scares, absolute tense, tense moments, very well made, very enjoyable. If you like zombie movies, this one's going to blow you out of the water. If you don't like zombie movies, this one will make you like zombie movies. Yep. Absolutely. If you would like to follow us, we can be found on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Letterboxd. That's it, I think. And you can find us at Murmurs from the Morgue on Facebook and Instagram, and then at Morgue Murmurs on Twitter. And then Letterboxd is probably also at Murmurs from the Morgue. We'll also, of course, have links to everything in the show notes. 
Yes. And Letterboxd, once again, like if you want to know about any of the movies that we mentioned in this episode, we're going to have a list on Letterboxd of every single film that we mentioned. So check the show notes for that or follow us on Letterboxd. And our music is by No Orphans and... The end song is by Night Tempo. Hooray. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you on the slab. 